Chapter Twenty Four of Miss Frances Baird Detective by Reginald Wright Kaufman. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. I seem to be doomed. Next morning early, and without bothering about preparations for my impending departure from the Maples, I drove openly away from that place and into Black Springs, where I had a long talk with Mr. Gray. Then, after he had gone ahead and, by means best known to himself, properly arranged matters, I proceeded to the jail and was soon left alone with Lawrence. He was changed a good deal, I thought, as I sat down on the chair beside the deal table and looked across at him perched on the cot. Through the high barred window in the whitewashed wall there came a ray of morning sunlight that rested on his head as if it were an aureole. It touched his every feature almost lovingly, and in its glory I noted that his face was marked by mental suffering, calmly borne. It had assumed even something more of strength than it had shown of old, and had lost much of its former carelessness. His voice, too, was quieter, his key in a manner lower, his whole attitude that of a man who has passed the crisis of determination and, having deliberately burned his ships behind him, entered serenely upon the ultimate period of mere endurance. I had never seen him look so handsome. Yet for all his new air he welcomed me warmly, and his first words, after those of simple greeting, were a courageous attempt at some measure of return to the forced merriment of our last interview. "'Well,' he said, "'what luck! Have we caught the guilty wretch, and his heroic innocence at last to be triumphantly vindicated?' It behoved me to be cheerful, too. "'There is nothing final just yet,' I answered. "'But as for the guilty wretch, I begin to believe that I am really on his heels.' He leaned eagerly forward. "'Do you mean that? Do you really mean that, Miss Baird? Be careful, please, and consider what this signifies to me.' "'I do mean it. Every word of it. But who? Who?' He could not get out the words. "'Ah,' I said, smiling, "'that is my secret.' "'No, no, don't joke with me, Miss Baird. This is too grave a matter for such things.' "'You really want to know? How can you, Miss Baird?' Then wait just a moment, and if you are very good and answer all my questions properly, you may hear. I will hold it as a reward of merit. He put his face in his hands for the moment, and I had hardly the heart further to torture him. But presently he looked up, rested his elbows on his knees, his chin on his clasped fingers, and with a resumption of his former calm, said simply, Go on. In the first place I have to secure your pardon. Am I to have it? What for? for disobeying you, as I virtually declared I should do. I know now why you deceived me on that Saturday night, and why you have since been silent. Who told you? I hesitated a bit over the name, but at last got it out with some remnant of glibness. Miss Bladesdell herself. But how? Oh, I just figured the matter out, and then asked her. You haven't told? I've told no one, and so far as I can now see, there is no need why anyone else should ever know. I have— I lied. No more wish than you to place Miss Bladesdell in a position which the severest critic would consider compromising. Oh, very well, then. Let's say no more about it, and get on. Get on. I want you to tell me, then, another secret. Those paste diamonds, you haven't explained them to me, and Mr. Gray says you were equally silent on that subject with him. That was simply because I preferred to look as guilty as possible, so long as there was any danger of exposing the fact that Evelyn had come back alone and been with me that night. "'Wasn't that position rather foolish of you?' "'At first, perhaps. 
but as time went on I saw that, if it were known she came back, she might even be suspected of having done this murder herself. The detectives suspected me, so they were capable of suspecting even her. I coughed and got my hand to my face just in time to hide its change of expression. <clears throat> and therefore, I commented, you really wanted to appear guilty? Yes, of course. I knew you wouldn't tell, nor Gray. But you didn't ask me at first. There was no need, then. It was a point to be taken up later and in order. And by the time Gray had heard of it, after the inquest, I had resolved on my latter course. Well, and what about the Pace Diamonds, then? Simply this. I had brought them on to give them to Jim, and as I was unpacking my suitcase that evening I came across them. Jim happened by the door at that moment. It was just after I'd arrived, you see, and I turned them over to him. What? I cried. He looked at me wonderingly and repeated his statement. You're sure of this, Mr. Fredericks? Why, of course. I remember saying, in a laughing way, that the imitation was so good that I could have put it in place of the real thing, and he'd probably never have been the wiser. And he, and he, I gasped, leaning forward and grasping Frederick's shoulders. Why, he didn't say anything to that particular statement, so far as I can remember. But think, think, man. No, he didn't say anything. He was a rather silent chap, and I'm afraid not a very good sort. I sank back in my chair. Oh, I cried, why wasn't I told this before? It does amount to something. I can't see what, said Lawrence, except that the first thief must have learned of our transaction and stolen the paste diamonds from Jim's room to put them in place of the real ones. But at that I laughed outright. You are wonderful, I said. The detective instinct seems catching. Soon you'll be one of us. But that's enough. There were lots more I wanted to ask you, but it doesn't matter now. I must be going at once. Oh, no, Miss Baird, you forgot your promise. That's true. You are enough to make anyone forget anything. Well, I'll tell you just what I have discovered. In the first place, there's the matter of time. To that, if you mean to follow me at all, please pay particular attention. He nodded, and after sketching broadly the events of the fatal night, and the part I had played in them, I continued. I can't go into the details of how I proved this, but I have proved it, every item, and within a minute at the outside in every instance. The real diamonds were stolen between 2.39 and 2.40. I was alone with the paste ones from 2.40 to 2.45. From 2.45 to 2.57, Kemp was there with me. From 2.57 to 2.59, young Deneen was there. At 2.59, he left and went to his own room, and we went downstairs for his father, the three of us returning at 3.5, so that the paste jewels must have been stolen between 3 and 3.5, most likely at 3 sharp, as you'll see when I name my suspect and show how it was done and how the murder followed. From 3.5 to 3.10, Kemp, old Mr. Deneen, and I were in the gift room. For the next two minutes I was calling Mrs. Deneen, and Kemp was rattling at James Deneen's door. From 3.12 to 3.15, I was with him there. Then we broke in and stayed for ten minutes. About the next seven were spent in your room and Bromley's, and the next seven I was alone with the murdered man, while Kemp and all the others, except you and Bromley, were in the gift room. At 3.40 I started for the cellar, while somebody was there. 
that somebody got away in the darkness, and I remained in the cellar and downstairs until four o'clock, when, on returning, I met Bromley, just coming in by the front door. Do you follow me? Again he nodded breathlessly. Well, I said, this is what happened. Young James Deneen left us, and then, hearing a noise in the gift room, while Kemp and I were downstairs after his father, went there and caught the thief. It was a person whom he didn't care publicly to expose, so he took him to his own room and started to give him a lecture. They quarreled, of course, and the thief murdered James. Then he went into Bromley's room and over the porch roof to the lawn, and was hiding his booty somewhere about the grounds, all the while Kemp and I were discovering the murder and warning the household. While I was alone in the death chamber, he returned to the house, went into the cellar, and burned such of his clothes as were bloody, getting away just in time for me to miss him, then. Lawrence was hanging on my every word. He cut me short now with a quick gasp. "'The name! The name!' he cried. "'Bromley, Deneen,' said I, and thereupon I saw at once that something had gone wrong. Lawrence leaped to his feet as if I had struck him, and put his hands before his face. "'No, no,' he moaned. "'It's impossible!' "'Oh,' I began, "'of course his relationship's against him, but facts are facts, you know.' And just there Lawrence faced me, his eyes glowing like lamps. "'Yes, that's it,' he said. "'Facts are facts. And that is what lets Bromley out. And truth is truth. To think I could go free by simply holding my tongue.' It was my turn to show surprise. "'Why, what are you driving at?' I wondered. "'At this, that if your time schedule is in any way near right—' "'It's about perfect.' "'Then you have fixed on the wrong man after all. There was not time enough for Bromley Deneen to be caught stealing by his brother, to follow his captor to his brother's room, to be talked to, to quarrel, to kill his man, and get clear of the house between three and three minutes after.' "'But I said between three and three-ten or three-eleven. "'Yes, but as I sat in my room that night, smoking by the open window, "'I pulled out my watch to see the time, and found that it had stopped. "'Just then I noticed Bromley on the lawn below me. "'I called to him, asking the time. "'He looked at his watch and said it was just three-three, "'and it couldn't have been more than six minutes later that Evelyn arrived. "'I verified my watch next day. "'He had told me the truth.' I leave you to guess whether or no I sat up when I heard that. In vain I tried to shake it. The man was as positive of his facts as I of mine. No, Miss Baird, he obstinately persisted. It's no use. You have done your best for me, but I seem to be doomed. Don't take the thing so hard. He faced me again, and despite his words his tone was gentle. Confound it! It's not your fault. You can't beat fate. Here and he drew, as he spoke, a ring from his waistcoat pocket. "'Do you mind, please, taking this as a little remembrance of me? It, it has small intrinsic value. I know you too well to offer it to you if it had. But I want you to keep it. It was my mother's once, as a reminder that I was grateful to you, and that I understood.' His last words I hardly heard. I only took the ring, two small diamonds on either side of a ruby, and ran away, torn by a great happiness, and not a little sorrow. For even as he spoke it had come to me that I was at the end of my puzzle. 
I was about to give up Lawrence to the woman he loved, about to prove him innocent, and arrest the real murderer of young James Deneen. End of chapter 24